0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about health reform, help to figure out where we go with uh, free market systems, If you've been a regular listener of this program, we've outlined a number of options. We've given information on potential uh, legislative initiatives in Washington, uh, ideas on what states could do. So the real thrust of these programs, if you're just joining us, is talking about how in the world can we create a private free market system? And most of our emphasis over the last number of, of months has been more around the idea of what can we do with the biggest problem for the uninsured and the people who are unhealthy or having a difficult time getting insurance. Now, those markets are basically the individual marketplace and small group insurance, under 50 life groups. The issue that where most people get insurance, about 140, 150 million people, is actually through their employer plans, which are large employers that are self-insured employers. And self-insured employers, self-insured plans, have a pretty significant exemption from Obamacare. Yes, they do have some rules and regulations, and there's some things that are specifically targeted uh, more or less to the large employers, Uh, something called the Cadillac tax, for example, that if you provide too much health care, too expensive a plan, that there's a potential for a 40% excise tax on the amount that the government thinks is, is too much health care for your employees. Uh, that program has been put off time and time again and is very unpopular with both political parties and at some point will be eliminated in all likelihood. However, what I want to talk about today is a focus on that large employer. The large employer and what they should be doing to create this uh, health care consumerism this uh, more of a free market, how do the individuals who work for large employers, what kind of programs should they uh, be um, uh, be accessing? If there are various options within an employer plan, what kind of options should they be looking for in terms of their own health insurance and what's going to be best for them? If you're a, uh, a human resource manager or a benefits manager, what kind of programs should you be putting into the your, uh, your your corporate program? What kind of options should your employees have? Well, this next series of programs we're going to do over the next few weeks is about understanding healthcare consumerism. What does it mean? Well, I've actually written a book on healthcare consumerism, and a large part of these series is going to come from the, the basic core research and information that is built into that book. So, understanding healthcare consumerism is a compilation of proven processes, practical tools, credible resources, helpful worksheets, creative ideas, and short videos from over 35 years as an actuary, a teacher, a healthcare consultant, and a major global consulting firm. I've taught classes on healthcare consumerism, and that's what this program is going to be about over the next several weeks. You can listen to this on America's Web Radio on your uh, favorite source for podcasts. And we're going to really be talking about how you create a true healthcare consumerism program. Um, Most of you who have been listening to this and have any interest in healthcare have probably been struggling for years to keep up with the changes in healthcare legislation, regulations, compliance, and litigation. So with a focus on practical solutions, actionable strategies, and benefit designs, this book will provide a perspective on where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So that's what I'm gonna bring to this program, to this podcast. We're gonna talk about very specific solutions that employee benefit managers and HR departments should be implementing to really make the focus, the consumer, the employee, the family members of the employee. So we're gonna show you how Exciting that evolution is what's happening with healthcare um, consumerism. You know, politicians have been arguing for a long time about what to do in terms of access and affordability and quality of care. Well, all of it really goes back to creating a system that we've described some aspects of what a new free market system can be, and it really is around a patient-centered program. Now, healthcare consumerism also leads to patient-centered care, which starts with personal responsibility. That's the real key to healthcare consumerism is tapping into the desire for most of us at least to be healthy, to be productive, to be supportive of our families because we are healthy and able to do the things that need to get done. That's as our human capital is involved with our knowledge, our experience, Our creativity, our education, our networking, our relationships, but it's critical that that personal capital that we have is built on health. That if we're not healthy, all those other great qualities that we may bring to the table for our family, for our community, for our job go away pretty quickly. So we have to all take some personal responsibility. How do we support that? How do we create that in our healthcare system? Well, we want to have a couple of goals in these next sessions. We want to create a system to minimize the cost of healthcare by keeping people healthy through prevention, wellness, early intervention, and well-being. We want to minimize accidents through safety awareness and prevention. And we want to stabilize those with chronic and persistent healthcare conditions through clinical services, educational support and lifestyle changes. Healthcare consumerism will not benefit those who are unhealthy and don't care to get healthy. Those individuals will have higher premiums, pay more in planned cost sharing, or at least fail to engage the healthcare system effectively. You can't reach everybody. There's some people who no matter what you do, no matter how you reward, reinforce, incentivize good behaviors, they're just not going to do it. They're young, they're healthy, they can move mountains, and they really don't care. And other people think, well, whatever I do, I get unhealthy, I can take a pill to get better, or I can have some surgery uh, to replace that joint if I mess it up. So rather than taking care of themselves, they just assume that our wonderful healthcare system is going to take care of them one way or another. So there are many dimensions and benefits to healthcare consumerism. One effect is to minimize third-party insurance costs and to maximize savings for healthcare expenses. Another is maximizing individual consumer control and improving the patient-provider relationship. Healthcare consumers opens up a new avenue of promoting healthy, holistic lifestyles that extends human health as a part of human capital. So, if you're going to have healthcare reform, as we've talked about in previous sessions on a national level, healthcare consumerism has to be built into all that. And we touched on that in other sessions where we outlined programs for legislation and regulation. But now we're talking about the details of an actual plan design that an employer might put in. And in fact, large employers today are doing this. It's that small employer and the individual market that we touched on in previous sessions that don't have access to the self-insured plans, don't have access to the rewards and incentives, don't have access to a lot of things that they could be doing because the smaller groups and individuals are controlled more by state laws and are more impacted by Obamacare than our large groups, which are not covered by state laws at all. They're covered by a federal legislation called ERISA, Employee Retirement Income Security Act, I think it was 1978 it was passed. It was originally for retirement plans, but court cases ultimately expanded that and said, no, it applies to health insurance as well. So large employers started going into self-insured plans, which allowed them to avoid state laws and to access other benefits of a self-insured plan. And more and more companies are moving that way because of the restrictions of Obamacare that are avoided if you're a self-insured plan. So there are a lot of people who would benefit from this discussion that we're going to have today. A lot of exciting material we're going to go over. But if you're an individual listening to this broadcast, this information is for you, the healthcare consumer. You'll find answers to what you can do to optimize the value of your purchases, of your enrollment in your employer's plan. So whether you're seeking to understand the options under your employer's group plan or even selecting individual coverage, this information will help you move beyond the immediate health concerns to understanding how to live a long and productive life. If you're a consultant, an agent, or a broker listening to this week's presentation, this information will show you how to market, how to consult, and how to sell healthcare consumers and designs that will lower premiums and future premium increases, increase coverage choices, add care convenience options, and improve your clients' access to doctors, hospitals, and other medical providers. If you're a human resources executive, this information will help you illustrate how to develop a health and health care strategic plan unique to your organization. This information will assist you in learning whether or not your organization is ready for change and what other organizational changes will lower health and healthcare costs for your employees. Because it's not always just focusing on healthcare. There may be other things within your organization that need to be changed in order to promote the concepts and the reality of personal responsibility. So if you're a benefit manager, wellness, or communications director, we'll define and explain the pros and cons of healthcare consumerism. I'll show you how benefits interact with the development of human capital, and we'll explain how work affects health, but how health also affects work. And if you're a provider uh, solution provider out there, if you're developing ancillary products and services around the healthcare market, you'll see where your product fits into the rapidly evolving market of new technologies and services. You'll better understand how to discuss your product and services and the language of your prospects and customers. You will see the spectrum of developing generations of healthcare consumerism and where your products fit into the present and future of health and healthcare. We're gonna go over at least five generations developing around healthcare consumerism and companies are at different stages of implementing those So if you're not in the fifth generation, and the reality is nobody is fully fifth generation or even fourth generation, but some of your products and services and offerings are going to be in multiple generations. So how do you plan strategically for a three- or a five-year healthcare program? And if you're a caregiver, you'll understand how your services interact with savings options and insurance, plan design, and patient care. If you're a provider of care, you'll better grasp the possibilities and importance of patient involvement and engagement in wellness, well-being, treatment plans, and compliance. You'll see how you can strengthen that patient-provider relationship to improve patient compliance with treatment plans. We're going to go over all of this. So this is going to be a lot of good material, and I hope you'll stay tuned and listen to it. Let's take a break, and we'll come back and we'll delve into some of the very unique specifics that you're going to learn as you go through this process of developing healthcare consumerism. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and I'm Ron Bachman. We're talking about how to expand and create the idea of healthcare consumerism in every kind of plan that's offered in the marketplace, whether it's through an individual product, small group insurance, Or more specifically, we're talking about in these next few sessions what large employers can do today. They don't have to wait for Obamacare's replacement. They don't have to wait for Obamacare's repeal. Large employers are self-insured, which gives them an enormous amount of flexibility in order to create a healthcare consumerism plan that really benefits individuals, that empowers individuals. We'd love to see that done in the small group and individual marketplace, and we've outlined programs and legislative changes that can do that. But the main thrust of what we've been talking about today is what large employers out there, some of which are already doing some of these things, some of which are doing a few of the items, some of which are doing as many as they can, some of which are strategically positioning themselves to do many of the programs that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. But as individuals, wanting good health is not enough. As an employer, wanting your employees to have good health is not enough. We're typically American. We want to be paid to do the right things. We would have taken out the garbage as youths, done household chores without an allowance. With healthcare consumerism, plan members can be financially rewarded for doing the right activities that improve their health and save money. You know, if just wanting good health was enough, we wouldn't have so many avoidable health problems that exist today. We still have too many smokers, and type 2 diabetes is a national epidemic. The opioid crisis shows that too many of us aren't worried about our own health. Addictions are rampant in this country, very difficult to avoid, and to stop once those addictions start, whether it's alcohol, other drugs, the opioid crisis. But rewards can be based on activities to encourage and reinforce good behaviors. They can be based on activities such as participation in a wellness assessment, compliance with condition management programs, that is, taking your medications, diet, exercise, keeping your office visits seeing your doctor regularly, completion of annual physicals, and maintenance of good health characteristics, metrics such as blood pressure, cholesterol, nicotine use, body mass index, waist size. These are things that can be rewarded and incentivized so that we are more likely to follow good regimens for our own health and health care. The transformation of healthcare consumerism is already well underway. It started many years ago. And today it's a consolidation of successful ideas in the marketplace. You know, the beauty of having a private market, a free market, is that employers can test ideas to see what works for themselves, for their employees. And when they're successful, these benefit managers, these human resource managers, the CEOs of these companies share those, their ideas across the board. They go to conferences. They go to meetings. They go to speakers. They write articles. So, good ideas get shared. Bad ideas will fall away. What we want to be talking about in the next few weeks and the rest of this hour are those good ideas that are gaining a foothold. I hope this podcast is another way of sharing the good ideas that can be successful for any corporation. These ideas are a new way to both save lives and improve the health as well as lower costs. But you know, if you just focus on lowering costs, that's not enough. It really has to be a focus initially on saving lives. Because some of the changes involved in what we're going to be talking about, employees are going to be skeptical. They think you're doing it just to save money. But that shouldn't be the motivation to move into healthcare consumerism. It should be about saving lives and improving health. There were a lot of early adopters, that saw very positive results. That was five, 10, even 15 years ago, companies were experimenting these areas. But there was a lot of criticism of what I'd call first-generation plans. They were sometimes referred to as consumer-directed or consumer-driven healthcare plans. And that term is still somewhat used today with different meaning. But those first-generation products they had a lot of flaws, and I know you have to start someplace in the process, but they seemed only to benefit the young, the healthy, and the wealthy. And those concerns really were mitigated as those consumer driven healthcare plans evolved beyond first generation plans and moved into more sustainable and effective future generations of healthcare consumerism. And criticizing the start is not the point. The point is that we move on from that. We start there get experience. And so if you're an employer who's not put in any of these healthcare consumerism plans or very limited healthcare consumerism ideas, start someplace, even if it is first-generation plans that we'll describe in more detail. My recommendation is we have so much experience, you should be jumping into what I will more fully describe later in this hour as second-generation plans. So healthcare consumerism is a term that really doesn't have a complete definition in the marketplace. I think many people sort of generally understand the idea that you want to empower the purchaser of insurance, empower the individual. But healthcare consumerism is much more than employers implementing high deductible consumer-directed healthcare plans with an attached savings account. The future is about empowering individuals with information and financial responsibility that supports a position of ownership, a personal responsibility. It's about supporting and rewarding healthy behaviors regardless of the plan design. It's a much broader concept than consumer-directed healthcare, which is a subset of healthcare consumerism. But Healthcare consumerism is much more about engaging employees employers, providers, carriers, and other stakeholders in a new relationship that deals with health and health care rather than sickness and disease. The existing health care system has a fundamental structural problem. It's one that's going to be very hard to overcome, and so the best way is to try to minimize that fundamental structural problem, and that is third-party reimbursements. And the absence of individual financial responsibility that fosters an environment of entitlement. You know, when somebody else is paying the bill, they get the emphasis as the real customer. It's their needs that are met. And the patient, since they're not paying the bill, is kind of looked as a second-class citizen. So there's a lot of programs out there. Disease condition management programs are identifying chronically ill populations for targeted to help. Education, communication, and incentives and penalties are being used to support and reinforce information on safety, healthy lifestyles, and healthy choices. But healthcare costs continue to rise. So real change in cost and quality is not about more management additional programs, limiting formularies, narrowing networks, or cost shifting. Real change involves engagement, personal responsibility, a willingness to learn, and a process to alter health and healthcare purchasing behaviors. So some of these ideas that we're gonna be talking about may seem new for some organizations, may be a little bit old for other organizations, but maybe a compliment to what you're doing, even if you are moving along this line, puts it in a perspective so that you can create that three to five-year strategic plan. There may be some good thoughts and intentions, but decision makers may need time to socialize the impact on their staff if you're doing something new and different. You may find that there's resistance from employees, unions, and even your management about what ideas you might want to implement after listening to these podcasts. If the current old model programs are not working for you, if you're looking for something new and different, a new idea, these next few weeks are for you. Remember that old saying, as ex-Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich often used to state real change requires real change. So as this world is moving towards health and health care changing in various ways, shapes and forms, a major transformation is occurring. We are now many years into this transformation and the vast bulk of the population is really just catching on. The vast bulk of employers are really catching on. But we rarely see major changes like this that are occurring, major transformation in history. We rarely, very rarely see them until in retrospect we look back, and we're only now sort of seeing all the work that's been done, the foundation has been laid for us to move forward. We see that the changes when we look back, Not just the healthcare we're talking about now, but other major changes that they become an accepted part of our culture after a while. A couple of examples, maybe. And few understood in the 1980s, 1990s, the dramatic changes that affordable personal computers, cell phones, and the Internet would have on our daily lives. It's only when we look back that we can see major things that have happened in our lives that we now sort of accept as maybe already always been there. The personal computer, the computer world, really using it in business for those young people listening in. really didn't start until about 1995 and later in the 1990s. We were all using other mechanisms to communicate. We weren't using emails. So it's typical that only after a pause and a look back do we see the importance of specific events and their true impact. But I'm telling you about healthcare, if you listen closely, if you start to look back at what's been done, don't get caught up in the fog of what's going on currently. Look back through the clarity of history, and you'll see and understand that there is a transformation going on relative to healthcare consumerism in the United States. We're not going to move to a single-payer system. The dynamics and the mega trend of healthcare consumerism is too strong. Too many employers have actually done the right thing to show the way forward around healthcare consumerism. So if you're not on board, jump on board. If you're on a slow train to healthcare consumerism, speed up that train and learn about what can be done and what others are doing. That's what these programs are going to be all about. Well, I think we're, near the end of another session right now. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about those generations that we discussed earlier and begin to lay the foundation for anybody listening in here, how to change their programs, their employer programs, how to access them if you're an employee, what to look for, what your employer should be doing. We're going to get into all that and much, much more. This is exciting stuff. We're glad you're listening in, and I hope you're going to learn a few New ideas and few thoughts on how to expand the whole concept of healthcare consumerism for you, your employer, and even your family members. So let's take a break right now, and we'll be right back with healthcare consumerism. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about healthcare consumerism. It's a great concept. It's a concept that's broad and all-encompassing to the different types of health care and health insurance that you may be familiar with today. Consumer-driven health care, account-based plans, HSAs, those are all subsets, those and more are subsets of the term healthcare consumerism. Healthcare consumerism is very flexible, It's very broad. It brings in a lot of concepts around what I would call shared savings. If an employee is doing the right things, if they're taking care of themselves, if they're a diabetic who's going to their doctor's visits, taking their medications, watching their own healthy behaviors to be sure that they don't have to have their foot amputated, that they're not going to go blind, that they're not going to be re-hospitalized. That diabetic is a lot lower cost than somebody who is not doing any of those things. So the important part of healthcare consumerism is about that personal responsibility and rewarding and incentivizing those good behaviors. I call that shared savings. That is, if I do the right things and save money, then whoever is the risk-bearing entity Whoever's paying the bill, whether that's your uh, employer who's taking on the risk, they're paying the insurance premium, and if you have lower costs, then you're saving them money. So there ought to be a shared savings back, a reward incentive in some way, shape, or form. If you've got a fully insured plan and you're doing all the right things, who's the beneficiary there? Well, of course, it's the insurance company who is taking your premium and paying out whatever claims occur. So if you're doing the right things and saving the insurance company from paying out more dollars, then you as the consumer, as the policyholder, ought to get some of that savings back as a reward and a reinforcement for continuing to do, do the right things. If you're even under a government program, under Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, children's healthcare program, you name it. Whatever the program is, if the federal government is paying the bills and you're doing the right things that actually lowers the cost of healthcare for the federal government, then there ought to be a shared savings back to you. There's really three entities under healthcare consumerism that are typically taking the risk and are involved in the finances of this whole system. It's you, the patient, is the provider of care, and who there is the whoever is the, uh, the risk bearing entity, employer, insurance company, government. Now I want to talk about the generations of healthcare that we alluded to in the earlier uh, program segments. There are at least five generations of healthcare consumerism, and I've put these together from my own personal experience. I like to have a visual image and I'll try to paint that visual image today in words, but they are not academic. They're not think tank generations. These are not concepts that are pulled out of the air someplace. These are examples of what's actually happening in the marketplace. And I've been very careful about designing and developing each generation only when it's clear that the marketplace is moving in this direction so that we can all look into the crystal ball of some of those leading edge, those experimental programs that seem to be developing enough significance, enough of an impact, enough of a success to be worth sharing in a much broader way. So let's talk about the healthcare consumerism concepts and these five generations. They're evolving at a rapid pace some of the earliest programs that were put in are what I've called first generation. Now, first generation programs were put in by basically two companies that started this whole process, a company called DFINITY and a company called Luminos. Now, those two companies no longer exist because they were bought out by larger insurance companies and their concepts incorporated in a much more effective way with better network discounts and better programs and a much broader distribution system. So they were great companies to start the process. And those founders made a lot of money. But once they got to a significant size, it was clear that healthcare consumerism in the sense of the early generation products, which are typically called consumer-directed healthcare, account-based plans, they – were designs that focused mainly on discretionary expenses, office visits, prescription drugs, maybe some diagnostic x-ray lab, emergency room type uh, expenses. But to a large degree, it ignored, not purposely, but it hadn't yet evolved to the point where it was focusing on the chronic and persistent conditions, which occurred in later generations. But let me finish the description of first-generation. With the focus of first-generation really being on high deductible plans and implementing of personal care accounts, HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements, HSAs, health savings accounts, and FSAs, flexible spending arrangements. These are the basic tools of what I'll call in a broader sense personal care accounts. And so the impact really was on health management, discretionary expenses, as I've mentioned, office visits, prescription drugs, emergency room, and diagnostic x-ray labs. But there was a great criticism of these first-generation products because it didn't focus on the chronic and persistent conditions, the less healthy status of most people. It really focused on the 80% of the population that had about 20% of the claims. Now, the early adopters here would typically say it was about 30% of the claims, but that was a little bit of an overstatement. And so a lot of companies really didn't want to move in this direction as an option because if you provided rewards and incentives and these uh, health savings accounts or HSAs, HRAs, uh, it was the healthier people who made this choice of having a high deductible plan with an account-based plan because they got money into their account. And at the end of the year, under the old approaches, they would have been healthy, had no claims, and they had nothing to show or benefit from. But under this approach, if you are healthy and you chose a consumer driven healthcare account based plan, well, what would happen is at the end of the year you actually had a benefit. You had some money in your account that you could carry over and use next year if you happen to get sick the next year. But if you were young and healthy and maybe several years before you had any significant health care costs, you would be able to accumulate those dollars over time. So it was great for the young and the healthy to choose a consumer-driven healthcare plan as they were offered up as first-generation products. And that worked great. A lot of small employers or smaller employers, but still large enough to be self-insured, chose these. They were the companies with younger employees, maybe with more single employees, fewer kids. And it got the reputation of this really isn't a great design. This is something only for the young and the healthy. And the tax benefits of these accounts meant it was also Good for people who had higher incomes, the wealthy, the young, the healthy, and the wealthy is the way it was described. And so it got off to a rocky start, but again, early adopters went in and proved some of the concepts of the reward and incentive. And after you had some start in this marketplace, you had companies beginning to say, well, this is a great idea, but I don't want to offer it as an option because only the healthy people move over to these products and everybody else is left in a more expensive, more full coverage HMO or a PPO plan with low deductibles. And so you really didn't save as much money overall unless you had a very high concentration and penetration into the first generation concept plans. So many employers started doing a full replacement. They said, okay, this is the only option that's offered up. And, that was a significant change in the marketplace. That was really a, um, a flex point in the uh, growth curve. Because what happened then was that having everybody in a first generation still didn't address the needs of those with chronic and persistent conditions, those people who really need more help, the asthma, diabetes, congestive heart failure, other issues. And so second-generation products rapidly developed a few years after the original introduction of those first-generation products. And the second-generation healthcare consumerism products really began to focus on behavioral changes and the use of individual and group incentives and rewards and penalties. Sometimes we are more responsive to a penalty than we are to an incentive. But it really helped to change effectively health and healthcare purchasing behaviors. People had to start thinking about what they really wanted and needed in healthcare. Do you really need an X ray, or do you need an MRI, or do you need a PET scan, or do you need all sorts of additional testing? And if you as a patient had some financial incentive, you would do a better job of shopping. If you had a financial incentive, you might decide that it is okay. Your doctor tells you what's best, and he says that the PET scan isn't all that necessary. Just the x-ray tells him what he's needed. So you're not going to override and just have more tests done. So the real issue of the second generation is around chronic and persistent conditions, around prenatal care, so that those young mothers having babies, whether it's the first one or a subsequent one, uh, take care of themselves and do the right things for themselves and their child so that a healthy baby is born. Because a, um, an unhealthy birth, a conditioned birth with impaired health, really can run up hundreds of thousands of dollars just because something wasn't done prior to birth. And good care and treatment and tests, and going to your doctors, and staying off alcohol, all the things that could have an impact. Sure, you're still going to have some genetic issues that occur, that the mother would have done everything possible, that the family would have done everything that they could possibly do to have a healthy birth. Those things are going to happen, and that's why you need good insurance. But we certainly can have an awful lot of those preemies, of those issues that are developed out of poor prenatal care, solved if, in fact, we reward and incentivize people to get the right kind of care uh, during that period of time. It also continued the idea of wellness, preventive care, and early intervention in all forms and issues of chronic and persistent conditions. So that's where the market really took off and did a great job in the second generation. Now we wanna talk about other issues. We wanna talk about how we move forward with a number of other generations and products and designs. What kind of products and designs are even in these first two generations? So let's try to focus on those for a little bit. And I think we're up for a new break. And let's come back and let's get a little bit more information on these first and second generation plans before we try to get into the later generation plans. So stay with us as we go to a commercial, and we'll be right back. You're on America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to or watching if you're looking at a video. You're listening to – Healthcare Insight, and we've been talking about private free market solutions for a number of weeks. That's the the core, the basis of these programs. And today we're talking about healthcare consumerism and how healthcare consumerism is changing the market and that any free market solution with new legislation at the federal and state level needs to include healthcare consumerism concepts. We've also been talking specifically today about how healthcare consumerism can already be done with large employers who are self-insured because they have much more flexibility. We've described the first two generations, and I'll just review that quickly, and we'll go on to the third, fourth, and even fifth generations in this last segment of this hour. The first generation we described as a focus on high deductible health plans, mainly impacting health management and discretionary expenses like office visits and prescription drugs. Second generation quickly developed out of the flaws of the first generation, but the successes that the first generation showed that we can actually imp- impact people's behaviors by getting them more involved in their own health and healthcare decision making. But it took a second generation focus on behavioral change to really get into dealing with the broader population and the important population in terms of cost reduction of changing the behaviors of those with Chronic and persistent conditions. People with chronic and persistent conditions may never recover. That's the definition of chronic. It's there forever in all likelihood. So recovery is got very low chance, very low probability. But if you maintain your health, follow your doctor's orders, take your medications, listen to your own body on what you can do and can't do, and just don't wait for some miracle cure in terms of having um, – A pill that solves the problem, or having uh, surgery that's elective because you've uh, uh, done some things that have hurt a joint, a knee, a hip, a shoulder, whatever it is. Take care of yourself. Get rewarded and incentivized for that. That's what second generation is all about. Now let's touch on third and fourth generation, and then I want to talk about some of the building blocks that affect all of these and how. It can all be put together in a nice visual image. So hang with me here. Third generation is a real focus on human capital, the health and organizational performance, and the integration of health, work, performance, and an organization's bottom line. In other words, in third generation, it's about how your health can affect what you're able to do on the job in terms of your productivity But also how the job affects you in terms of stress, depression, anxiety, and how important it is for the benefits that your company provides to give you the tools and resources, coverages and incentives and rewards that will actually help you make the right decisions so that you can come to work productive and active. And that things that might be happening at home with your spouse or with your children are being taken care of so you can be a productive citizen, you can be a good worker. So the impact of third generation is really on what I'll call organizational health. It affects things like turnover, absenteeism, productivity, disability, impaired presenteeism, well-being, unscheduled sick days, Workplace safety, creativity, and teaming. You can see there's a whole range of issues that a third-generation program can really focus on. Trying to help people improve their human capital. That's the ultimate in healthcare consumerism in many ways. You know, if you ask a CEO what's the most important asset of their organization, they'll say human capital. But very rarely do individuals think of their own human capital. Well, if they did, if they thought about their own human capital, they'd realize that maintaining their own health is the key to having a successful career, business career, a successful family life, a successful member of a community. Because if you're sick, if you're disabled, if you have all sorts of problems and issues and you're not taking care of your health, it's going to be much more difficult to carry out those tasks. It doesn't say that people in a wheelchair can't be productive citizens. I have many friends, actually, that actually are in wheelchairs. that are recovering from horrible times that they had in the Middle East, or they had a horrible accident that caused a spinal injury. These are some of the most productive people I've seen. But it takes a special individual to be able to get through that kind of physical trauma. So it's real important for everyone to think about their own human capital. Because if you're laid up sick in bed, if you're in the hospital, you're not really doing the kind of productive work and being a supportive provider for your family that you otherwise could be. Well, what's fourth generation? Well, fourth generation is a focus on very personalized health. Rather than population health, which many times is involved in the third generation, you're talking about groups of people. You're talking about employer groups. Fourth generation is much more of a personalized focus on health, lifestyle, life cycle activities, and the importance of how behavioral change affects an individual's health and health care. So fourth generation is about life cycle needs, personal health, genetic predispositions, Predictive modeling based upon your own individual DNA, your family history, your healthy habits, and technology disruptors. Things that can affect how you, as an individual, can better prepare yourself for maybe a predisposition that you have in your DNA for cancer or diabetes. This is a whole new area developing out there about predictive modeling based upon the individual's needs. And even during the care and treatment, a great example of fourth generation, is I have a family member who had breast cancer, and they had some tests around that particular cancer cells that they were dealing with. And after they removed those cancer cells, they sent them out to a lab in California to be tested. And it came back and it said, okay, now if you go through chemotherapy or radiation therapy, which are not very fun therapies to go through to begin with and have their own potential negative effects. It said if you go through these treatments, here's your five and ten year probability of survival or reoccurrence of that cancer. And so with that kind of knowledge, the individual can decide based upon their own personal family history and their own genetic Analysis of those cancer cells can make a decision as to whether it is worth the risk to move forward with additional treatments that might or might not be necessary. So what's fifth generation? Fifth generation is a focus on connections and engagement within your community, your family, your friends, and the support mechanism that you have for a healthy life. So the fifth generation is more around how do we help each other? How do we work together as a community to actually improve health and health care? And it's not just around health and health care by the time you get to this fifth generation concept. It's about a term that I think really is an important one and a new concept that should be picked up and carried out by so many people in this healthcare community. And it's about productive longevity. So it's not just around health, but can you be productive as you age? It involves a lot of issues around stress management that occurs later in life. When you're no longer working, when you may be alone. The untold tragedy of old age is the addiction problems, whether it's alcohol or drugs of various types, trying to deal with stress. Well, how can you deal with that better? In fifth generation, we'll learn new techniques of dealing with people like-minded that you can work with, wise men, wise women, people that can be very helpful in the process of dealing with life stresses. Also, in fifth generation, we talk about personal safety and caring, sharing, and helping others. It's important to recognize that each generation builds on the previous ones, And the plans may include aspects of multiple generations. One generation of healthcare consumerism does not replace the prior generations in total. It's an advancement. So you may have some parts of your program, some services that are available, some educational pieces that are offered up. That within that, you'll have some that may be in the second generation generation and yet you have other programs and support programs around maybe disease management that's in a third or fourth generation but the idea is for a benefit manager a corporation an hr executive to try to build a program that is inching along that spectrum of generations in many ways those later generations are only developing and the successes of one type of second or fourth generation product, over a fifth generation product is yet to be proven. So there's a lot of experimentation going in, a lot of employers trying different things. But people who are responsible for these benefit designs need to be looking at the experience of these designs, what works and what doesn't work, and what might be unique for your own population that's important for your group that may not be the same for other groups. Those are the five generations. We've really done a detailed job of putting out a new concept of healthcare consumerism. We're gonna give a lot more detail and put a lot more meat on the bones there as we go through these presentations. But I wanted to go through all five presentations of generations of healthcare consumerism. Because I think it's real important that everybody know and understand what we're looking at and how this is really working through the um, evolution of healthcare consumerism and being implemented by employers in the marketplace. Now, the one thing I wanna just touch on before we wrap up uh, today, and give you a little bit of an insight of what we're gonna be talking about in future sessions. And that is within each of these generations, you can establish what I call building blocks. And there are five building blocks, probably many more, but five major ones I like to focus on. The first is personal care accounts. And that's kind of the promise of demand control and savings. Keeping people from asking for things that they really don't need or want, except that somebody else would otherwise be paying for it. So if we give them a financial stake in the game through personal care accounts, in each of these generations, we'll see a difference in how these generations can actually play out. The second is health management, and that's the promise of well-being. How do we keep people healthy? How do we make people uh, recover from a a disastrous situation, a health care accident or sickness? and become healthy, recover, and get back to good health. The third area is condition management, and that's the promise of health and functionality, getting people with chronic and persistent diseases and conditions to be good functional citizens, good functional employees, good functional family members. The fourth is what I call health literacy or health education, and that's the promise of better understanding, of healthcare choices and the transparency of information around both cost and quality and access to care. That's probably the the weakest part of healthcare consumerism as it's currently developed, but it's gonna be a big area moving forward and we'll get into a lot of detail on that in subsequent uh, presentations. And finally, the fifth one is rewards and incentives. We've talked about that, and that's the promise of shared savings that we mentioned. So these five building blocks, we're going to discuss in greater detail And future sessions. So come back and listen to Healthcare Insight because we're building a great, wonderful future. We're creating what I like to call my tagline, creating the possible. None of this is impossible. All of it should be done. So thank you for joining us this week. Come back next week, Thursday at 11 o'clock or listen to this on your favorite podcast. This is Ron Bachman signing off from America's Web Radio. Come back and listen to us every Thursday. See you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.